Katrin, thank you so much for joining and thank you so much for having the courage to come forward and talk a little bit about some things you experienced and what happened to you during your, your gymnastic days. Now you currently are in the career field, you've graduated college and I'm just, you know, curious where you'd like to start. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me on. I'm going to start at my, the beginning of my gymnastics journey, really. Originally, um, my mom was actually a gymnast growing up. And so I think that's kind of what my first role was when, you know, she had me and her being a gymnast, she automatically had put me in gymnastics and like those little parent taught classes that they do. Um, which was funny. <laughs> I ended up just like climbing the rope. Like I, I never wanted to go on the actual equipment. So looking back and hearing these stories is actually pretty funny. So uh, my mom said she pulled me out because I was just interested in the rope. And it was kind of like, eh, this isn't really going to be her thing. You know, we gave it a shot or, you know, let's be away from it. Maybe we can make our way back. So yeah, I was in a parent talk class and then she pulled me out. Um, then until I was about five or six years old is when I rejoined the sport of gymnastics. I hadn't really tried a whole lot in between. I think I did dance for a little bit. Um, but I really was flipping on the couches and, um, being crazy at home. So my mom put me back in gymnastics. So like I said, I started around five or six years old, um, just kind of in a recreational class to start, but, uh, my talent was pretty noticed quickly at the beginning there and they were like you know what I think she can make the team I switched gyms around that point just to kind of be in a more competitive gym my first gym that I ever was at not as competitive very like a fun vibe a little different from what I had experienced a lot of the rest of my club gymnastics days for a lot of people who are listening high school gymnastics route is not typically the way you would go in order to advance into college. So my goal, you know, from a young age was college gymnastics. And a lot of people don't understand in the real world, like, it's not like a high school sport. So you're it's very club from a young age. And, you know, there is high school gymnastics opportunities for those who aren't as interested in continuing at a higher level, but it is very hard to be recruited out of high school for college. So just to kind of give people perspective on that. So yeah, club gymnastics, like I said, move gyms, automatically noticed a completely different atmosphere in terms of the competitiveness, the strictness of the gym, how different it was from my previous gym. And I really did advance quickly. I was, let's see, I did level four and level five in the same year. So I did my first year competition. I did Um, Usually you start at around level four. Nowadays, they kind of started at level three. But when I was in gymnastics, started at level four. Halfway through the season, I switched to level five. The next season, I started level six. And halfway through, I advanced to level seven. The season after that, level eight, level nine. And then I had level nine for like a year or two after that to kind of catch up from all that until I was a level level 10 club gymnast. And then I went into college, but I'm going to kind of step back from there and go through a few things. I ended up absolutely loving it at age five or six, and that was my sport from then on out. I want you to talk about like around five or six. Why was gymnastics a passion? Why did it really draw you, call you to say, this is my sport? Yeah, like I just remember being in the gym and things kind of came naturally to me. And that was one thing that I immediately felt like, you know, this is, this could be my role. And I'm 
from a young age, I knew I was an all or nothing person. I'm not the person who I knew was going to be in multiple different sports. Like I knew I was going to put all of it into one thing. And I didn't know what it was. I just, I loved to flip around. And then knowing my mom was a gymnast kind of just inspired me in itself. And then I started watching gymnastics more, watching the older girls when I was young and seeing what they did and saying, you know, that's what I want to do. I, I was so passionate at so young. I literally wear my leotard under my clothes at school, like second, third grade, like, like a velvet, like it used to be velvet leos were more in style nowadays. That's not uh, so much it. But yeah, velvet Leo under my clothes, just ready to hit the gym after school. And it's it really was a lifestyle. My whole life really from six on was school. My mom would pick me up from school and hand me my lunch and drive me right to the gym. I never really went home in between or, you know, I got dropped off on the bus and hopped right in my mom's car, didn't even step in the house. And I looked forward to that, even though it is a very demanding sport. I mean, I was there every day after school and then weekends started to pile in once I got a little more advanced. And I've had the honor and privilege of of working with a number of gymnasts on the mental approach, particularly if there's a mental block. And in what you described, just for listeners out there, it exactly is that. It's hours, hours, on, on average, four to five a day in practice yeah. for mm-hmm. team. And then obviously, if there's individuals and you do individuals on your own. But, you know, gymnastics, where I think it's different from other sports is it truly is a lifestyle. Yeah, like I, I never got to go to those football, many football games, basketball games, you know, junior high, high school, didn't really participate in a whole heck of a lot, especially gymnastics not being, you know, a big high school sport. It's kind of you're secluded. And, you know, that's the lifestyle that I grew up with. So for me, it was okay to make those sacrifices. And sometimes, you know, it does suck. You do want to go do these things. And once in a while, you do get to do them. But you just started at such a young age that that's what you know. Yeah, so that was my life for many years. It's been weird not being a gymnast uh, the last Mm -hmm. year. Obviously, you, among many other young student athletes that I've had the absolute privilege of interviewing on my podcast, you have a passion at a young age. You want to go to the gym and you want to develop and you want to get better and you want to transform because really every sport, every grade level that you go in through academically, athletically, I mean, you're talking grade level with gymnastics. You want to advance and you have a mission and a purpose. And then things happen. And this is kind of where a lot of you are coming forward and discussing your courage. If you can give a little background, a little light, whatever you'd like to share on, you know, the challenges that you experienced that you didn't want to. Yeah. Um, Yeah. As you and I both said, gymnastics really was and is a lifestyle for people. It is long hours. It's every day. It gets very demanding in every aspect. And now that I'm done and I can look back at my career in a whole, it's a lot easier to see a lot of things that you can see, wow, something really did go wrong here or, you know, something definitely went wrong here. And it's just looking back like, you know, you're young. And sadly, with club gymnastics, um, the mentality is very strict. People watch movies from like Nadia Komnich way back in the day and the different countries and how strict they were and the dieting and the conditioning. And people don't realize many of that hasn't changed. That's still been the philosophy with club gymnastics for a long time now. It just recently kind of started to take a turn in ways just because of a lot of people speaking up, which has been super important. 
um, I guess I can kind of just go back and go through some experiences that I had. So like I said, gymnastics being very strict, it's it get there there's just a fine line with it. I understand, you know, pushing the athletes and trying to get them to that next level, but there's a fine line when it comes to, you know, what you can do and say as a coach and with gymnastics it was just different because from a young age, you know, we were not taught to speak up. You could not speak what you wanted to or talk back or say whatever you know, the coaches said to you what they had to say, if you dared talk back, I mean, there's always punishment and no one would dare to do that. Um, for my experience, there's just a lot of brainwashing going on. You're very brainwashed into thinking that the environment that you are in every day is the normal. You don't know that that's not okay because you're growing up in it. This is what you know. This is what you're taught. So this is the normal, but really, in reality, it's being brainwashed. I mean, I remember being just eight, nine years old at my new um, club gym, which was a lot stricter of a philosophy of my first gym I was ever at. And they are telling these eight, nine-year-old girls how it's not good to grow into your bodies, how it's not good to overeat, and it's it's good to stay at this weight for you know, the rest of your career. And that's not healthy. I mean, you look at gymnastics back then, and people are tiny. And it's like, how can you flip your body when you're a twig, you know, injury prone, and that's something that really comes out of it. I was definitely brainwashed at a young age, you know, I never ate fast food growing up, I never, ever drank pop, I still don't to this day, I just recently started eating McDonald's, like literally two years ago, because it was just I was brainwashed my whole life. We weren't allowed to do things like that. My gym at one point bought food contracts in for the families and kids to sign that they only had to eat X amount of things, X amount of calories. And luckily for my gym, it didn't end up following through because parents did stand up on it and realize, you know, this is not okay, especially for some of these younger girls. And for myself in that aspect, in this eating food aspect, I personally was able to like continue on with, you know, a normal diet and not let it really get to me. But unfortunately, I know a lot of teammates and a lot of gymnasts who this was the norm for club gymnastics, this whole you're fat, this is what you have to eat, food contracts. And unfortunately, a lot of my friends and fellow gymnasts have eating disorders. And that's just one thing that is very scary. And it does come from, you know, how they talk to us. I do remember one specific example. I was actually at a gymnastics camp. And this was a very strict gym. My the head coach of my gym at the time was very close with the owners of the gym that we were at for the camp. And so they both have very similar philosophies. But the gym we were at for the camp was just a little more strict in some aspects. I think I was like 11, maybe. And we walked into the gym on the first or second day we were there for the camp, which by the way, was a 14 hour day of gymnastics. Beside that, it was pictures all around the walls on the apparatuses of fat women. And this the coaches are pointing at us and saying, this is what you guys look like. Like, don't sit down while you put your grips on. Why do you think that's okay? Stand up, get up. I don't care if it's a 14 hour day. Look at these pictures. This is what you guys look like. The body dysmorphia came for a lot of gymnasts, and that is one of the biggest struggles with so many gymnasts. And you can mm -hmm. really verify this with many other gymnasts, 
the whole eating and what you should and shouldn't eat that needs to change that was definitely one thing Mm -hmm. growing up that i'll always remember you're really bringing so much value to educating people of what happened particularly in your case and i've heard this from from many others about eating and body shaming but young ladies are in junior high going into high school in many cases why are they body shaming what value is it giving them how is that even inspiring you to perform Um, at a higher level that is the reoccurring themes with gymnastics you know the my coaches grew up in a gym and that's how their gym was and it's generational and it just keeps moving forward and people need to eventually you know grow up and be the generation that's going to change it and i think it's getting a little better now but like i said a lot of people have to speak up on it and really call some people out and you know one thing that you will notice with gymnasts when they are injured they work harder than if they weren't and every time someone gets injured they're still doing gymnastics. We have boots on our feet. We're still swinging around the bars. If something's wrong with your leg, you're on the bars. If something's wrong with your arms, you're on the beam. And I remember I had an injury at one point where my coach just had me run miles and miles and miles while the practice was going. And every time they would bring up, you know, why you have to work harder when you're injured is because you're not moving your body how you used to be. And this is where if you stop now, you're going to grow, you're going to sprout, you're going to grow into your body, you're going to hit puberty, you're going to gain weight. And this is what they're avoiding. And it's just looking back at it, it's crazy to think like, when I hurt my arm, I'm running six miles a day at my practice and doing sit ups and going on the beam still, even though I have a cast on. And that is something a lot of gymnasts can also attest to. People don't think that you know, a healthy female fit body can perform and do some of these things unless they're in a lighter weight. And I just genuinely don't think that's true. I think the lighter you are, the easier your bones are about to snap. And for them, it's all about image and reputation. Really, it's it's a visual thing. Like this is the image that you need to look like, regardless of your predisposition with DNA that you inherit from your parents. This is what you need to look like. If not, then you need to change what you're eating. Yeah. Definitely. There there was talks of food contracts at my gym. Luckily, it didn't go through, but I know I could name a plenty of other gyms on the top of my head right now that I had friends that, you know, they had to abide by food contracts. And unfortunately, parents were on board and it's toxic. And, you know, all these girls come out with different eating disorders. And it's just very, very sad to, to hear from your coach who you, you know, you look up to. And even though they don't treat you right, you really yearn their respect and you want to, you know, get complimented by them. Because in gymnastics, you barely hear that. So as soon as they tell you you're fat and they're blunt about it, they would just say it. They didn't care. And they, I don't think they really realize not only is that sucky to hear, but how much we as gymnasts actually like cared about our coach's opinion. That's what really hurt it was we cared about their opinion. In talking to the extraordinary young women that I've had the opportunity to in, in these podcasts, how do you expect to get the best out of a young student athlete when you consistently tell them everything they're inadequate at and saying this is how inadequate you are? How will you possibly get anybody to, to perform at the level they're, they're capable of? Right. And that's exactly what kind of brings me into my my next point is a lot of gymnastics is mental. It is so physical. You have to be strong. It is demanding on the body, but it is so mental standing on top of that beam a few feet off the ground, four inches wide of wood, about to flip a few times, especially the first time ever or the first time on the high beam. And 
instead of the coaches encouraging you to get through the fear and helping you try to rationalize it, like you did it a million times in the low beam, the high beam is the exact same beam, like lengthwise, widthwise, it's the same beam just because it's a little, little higher up. You've done it on the low beam a million times, but it's so mental. It's like, well, I'm in a, no, it's different now. Instead of them encouraging us, think about it this way, rationalize it this way, picture it in your head before you do it. Let's count down together. It was always punishing our fears. A ton of gymnasts, so freaking talented. So many of my friends, I mean, from where I started in gymnastics, I had 20 little other girl teammates at the time and we grew up together and grew up together. And Every year, one by one, people started quitting and quitting and it sucked because they sucked the love of the sport out of the gymnast whenever there was a fear instead of helping out it was if you don't go right now five rope climbs if you don't go now five more rope climbs and I had a friend one of my best friends actually she had just such a fear with her series on beam she was just terrified and it got to the point where instead of even coming to beam because every time she didn't go they said put your shoes on start running put your shoes on start running eventually she didn't even go to beam anymore she just put her shoes on and start running before we even got to the rotation. And it's just sad because so many people, I watched so many talented individuals quit year after year because of fears and being torn down. And it's just toxic how it is. And it's sad because so many people are so talented and they lose the love of the sport because there's no more fun. That's always what they say. It's not fun anymore. And it sucks because a few years ago, this was your life. And it sucks to see a coach do that to somebody and I saw that happen with too many people, way too many people. And that's another another thing that really bothers me to this day. Not only do you lose phenomenal athletes, the mentality it takes to be a gymnast over time is so challenging. And the perfect example of that is the beam. How tall yeah. is the beam off the ground? It's about four feet, I'd say. Okay, so four feet, but <laughs> four feet, you have to stand on that. And then you got to do all these flips. It's, there's nothing normal about it. Yeah, no. <laughs> and there isn't. And whenever I would get a phone call from a parent, hey, I need you to work with my kid. She's stuck on the beam. She won't go. And I'm like, well, have you ever been on a beam ever? It's right. it's not natural. <laughs> it's It's a very small platform. It's very high off the ground. But how do you implement fun with being competitive with such a mentally demanding sport like gymnastics? Yeah hard because I did not grow up in most of my gymnastics career with that kind of environment. Um, I was lucky enough to end up in a gym, in a club gym before I went to college who kind of really, you know, got me back to loving the sport. And I am so blessed to have had that experience because I don't know if I would have kept moving on after some of the experiences I had that we'll get into in a little bit here. But like I said, I didn't grow up in it until my my final gym. And what really changed me about my last club gym before moving on to college was it was really minor things. Like for example, in gymnastics, you have to ask to do everything. We had to ask to use the bathroom. We had to ask to get a drink of water. We had to ask if we could sit down for a second or do something. And a lot of times we would be told no. And for so long, you don't speak up anymore. And you just kind of try to push through it. And my last club gym, they, my coach, I asked him to go to the bathroom. He said, never ask me that again, go do what you need to do. You know, go get a drink of water, go sit down for a second. And I think just small things like that, like how tiny is that, that started making me like, wow, really? Like I have that power. I can just go get a drink of water and I can sit down while I put my grips on. Like I've never been in a gym my whole life where I could sit down while I put my grips on 
And at that gym, it was, yeah, go ahead, take a break, sit down where you put your grips on. Still a competitive gym. We were a known gym, but just tiny things like that. And they push us, but they knew the line. They'd say, all right, today is not the day for it. Let's reflect. Let's visualize. Let's come back on a fresh day. Like they knew every day wasn't going to be a perfect day. And with my past club gyms, every day had to be a perfect day. And that's just an unrealistic expectation. They just treated us more humanly and more like they cared actually about us and didn't comment on how we look. Those small things, taking away those things puts you in an actual normal environment. But for, uh, for me, it was shocking because I was so brainwashed into thinking my past environments were normal because that's what I was grown up in. And I get to this gym at an older age. Wow. Like how much these tiny things, not calling me fat, letting me go to the bathroom, letting me sit down for a second, telling me, you know what, today's not the day and that's okay. Tiny, tiny things like that, which should be normal, but aren't seen as normal. And that's all it took for me to have a lot more fun. And it's unbelievable how that is all it took for me to change. Wow. I often say little hinges swing big doors. So little things that we can do as mentors and coaches can make the biggest impact in someone's life, particularly, and again, being blessed with, with, with a speaking with all of these student athletes who are coming forward, when they're burying what's happening or hap- has happened to them, and it's they're carrying around this this very 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 heavy backpack full of traumatic experiences and memories that they're not telling anybody, yeah. and the smallest thing you say or do can be the breaking point, or can it be the biggest impact to propelling them forward and transforming. Yeah, and I think one thing with club gymnastics, a lot of coaches they think that the key to success or whatever they whatever you want to call it is instilling fear in us and it just the smallest things like I couldn't even drive to practice at a younger age my parents had to drive me I'm not 16 yet I need a ride to practice my parents work they drop me off I'm five minutes late instead of oh we understand like this is a moving pieces to get here you know we appreciate it that kind of thing no it was like five rope climbs don't be late again I'm like, every day it's going to be five rope climbs because my parents can only get me here at this time. This is minuscule, but that was just ridiculous when I look back at it, like five rope climbs because my parents had to drop me off five minutes late because they work at my last club gym. They didn't have things like that. And it really just changes a lot. So I'm going to go back a little bit. I already talked about, you know, instilling the fear, coaches not helping, kids with fears instead they're punishing them brainwashing us into thinking, you know, we're fat, we have to eat certain things, Um, asking to go to the bathroom, rope climbs when you're late. These are all things that keep adding up as you get older. And a lot of them are emotional. They are drawing the line on, you know, this is too much for some of these girls, for all of these girls, really, none of this is normal. But all of these things, not letting gymnasts speak up, all of these things lead into us slowly getting further and further and further into this trap where we can get taken advantage of when the time is right for other people because we are taught not to speak up, not to say anything. And for me at one point, things really took a turn. Um, I am a sexual abuse survivor in gymnastics. I was sexually abused as a minor by my coach over 10 times can't speak much on this situation just because there's ongoing trial and court things on it, but I definitely want to get a little bit into this. 
and speak on this because unfortunately in the gymnastics world today, this is a huge thing that's been coming out more and more, which is very sad to see how many people are coming out about it. But the silver lining is that it finally needed to be done because things need to take a turn. For me, that's when I hit an all-time low. I mean, I was able to somehow push through being called fat and being discouraged and being punished with fears and just all these little things adding up and adding up and adding up. I was able to get through that. And a lot of my teammates weren't, which was so sad for me because every teammate I lost, it was like, ugh, it's that much more that I just want to quit too. Um, But when I reached my breaking point was in this situation, you know, I was a minor, I was being manipulated, I was sexually abused. And for this situation, I really want to talk about four young girls out there because I know, unfortunately, there are so many more people out there. And for me, my way to get through this, be strong, call myself a survivor and come out of it was to hear other people's stories. And that's what gave me the strength. So that's my main goal of being here today is if there's one one person I could help out, then that would be enough for me. Just one person to hear what I have to say and just to you know, feel the strength that they're not alone and that it's okay and that this is traumatizing and that there's steps that we need to take. And so me speaking up on this is hard, but it is very important in my eyes now. It's taken five, five years now to get to this point where I can public speak about my situation. But I guess just to get into that, um, just generally, like I said, can't say many details on it due to the trial and court things that are in my case. But well, first of all, to go back and just kind of talk about the experience, you know, at the time, being so young, being, being taught that I can't speak up about anything, being so scared of the coaches, how easy it is to get into this situation. Like when I look back on it, I'm like, wow, I really wish that I was stronger. And I just pushed or fought or did or said But from such a young age, from five, six years old, like I said, this whole lead up of not being able to speak up on all this emotional stuff that really traps people into being in this kind of a vulnerable situation. And the coaches really do comprise this. And I was extremely manipulated. Every time it happened, I would, you know, run into the bathroom, lock the door and just ball my eyes out and feel like something happened. But I wasn't really sure. And I had nowhere else to go. And I was scared. What if he was going to hurt me? Manipulation was just unreal. It was like, you know, this will make you a better gymnast. This is what you need to do this. Or sometimes it would be like, call the cops on me right now. Like I, I, I'll turn myself in, you know, I like just like totally trying to confuse me and, and, and how this situation would happen is even like, it's all just messed up. Like telling my parents, like, she needs more private lessons. She needs more work on this skill. Can we have her come into the gym? I'll work one-on-one with, on her, with her on some of these things she needs to improve on. And them taking advantage of not, not only the, the kids, but the parents, because the parents trust the coaches. And anyone who's a perpetrator, and this is what I say to, to kids and parents, anyone who's a perpetrator will find a way. Never go back and blame the parents. Never go back and blame the kids. Whoever's a perpetrator, they will find a way no matter what it is. And unfortunately for my way, it was this person telling my parents, I need private lessons. I need work on this. And at first, I truly thought that's what it was. Okay, sure. I love gymnastics. Put me in the gym. Let's work on this. I do want to get better. So you're not thinking twice about anything like that. 
and they have you in a spot where you're so vulnerable that it's like they take advantage of you. And so unfortunately, this happened too many times to me. And that was my breaking point. My Instead of speaking up and saying, this is what's happening. This is why I don't want to go to the gym anymore. I quit. I said, no, I'm, I don't want to do gymnastics anymore. I don't love gymnastics anymore. And a part of me really didn't because of all of these experiences combined. I was just so numb thinking about all these things that have happened to me, um, especially being sexually abused. That's It's all the emotions, all the confusion. And so for me, that was my breaking point. Quitting gymnastics, saying I don't love it anymore, not telling my parents or anyone the truth because that's what we were taught. Don't speak up. And it took me a really, really long time. I think I was out of gymnastics like almost a whole six months. Like it was crazy. That's the longest I hadn't been in gymnastics since I was like a baby pretty much. Um, Luckily, I was in touch with a friend who I didn't share this experience with, but kind of knew something was going wrong and just felt like they could, you know, talk to me. Um, And so luckily, I had a friend who really supported me and didn't didn't ask me for details, but knew something was going on and um, really nudged me in the direction to try out a new gym. And that's where you know, six months later, I finally got the courage. I ended up in the gym that I was saying earlier, which was my like last good experience that got me back into loving the sport before I went off to college. So forever blessed for that. They literally, in those tiny ways, they just made things so much more fun for me. And I was able to completely find my love for it again. But if it wasn't for those people in that gym, I don't think I would have found my way back, which would have been just horrible because I ended up absolutely loving the end of my gymnastics career and having the best time and meeting the best people. Really want to reiterate how proud I am of you for having the courage to to finally step forward and having the courage to confront this. I was going to ask, why don't people like yourself tell your parents? Why don't people like yourself tell loved ones who, who care about you? You're taught to, to be quiet. You're taught to yeah. take it. You're taught to no, this is how it mm-hmm. is. And every right. documentary that I'm, you know, I think it's athlete a, I see on Netflix. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. It's the same. It's, it's like a hamster on a wheel. It's the same yeah. exact story. No, this is how it is in gymnastics. Well, here, mm-hmm. let me say something right now. Bullshit. That's how you said it's supposed to be in gymnastics. And guess what folks, because of all these young, extraordinary, incredible women like yourself who are now coming forward and taking a stand to this, it's going to change. And thank God that it's going to change. I wanted to discuss how you heal from this, how you transform it to get your feedback and how you're going to use these experiences to be a transition person. So change the sport, number one, Mm -hmm. so that other young, extraordinary women like yourself don't have to go through this. For me, the only reason the abuse really did stop is because I ended up quitting. And then, like I said, I came back found amazing people that helped me get back to loving the sport. It's one thing that a lot of people didn't get. They quit and that was their ending and they have a horrible taste in their mouth with the sport um, since that. And I can only imagine why. With changing the problem, talking about it. And like you said, for me, I didn't want to talk about it. I was taught not to speak up. So how can I just say talk about it? And here's my best answer for that. Listen to other people's stories. Because people are now, they are coming out. A lot of people are coming out. They are finally healing from years and years back in a way in order to come out. And we 
as a whole understand the importance of, even though it's uncomfortable, coming forward and speaking about it. Because like I said, if it can make one person a little stronger to speak up for their their story, then I've, I've done my job. I need people to just listen for now as more and people keep talking until you feel comfortable enough to, to talk. But I understand how things like this can happen and you don't want to speak up because yes, we were taught that too. It feels embarrassing. Three, you start blaming yourself. Well, why didn't I just shove this person off? Why didn't I just... No, you're numb in the moment. You're being abused. A perpetrator is going to do these things. It doesn't matter. And so you have to really listen to people's stories and understand you are not to blame. And that is first come. You are not to blame the other person. This is what they do. They are messed up. They seek out these opportunities that arise. And so first and foremost, you are not to blame. If you were in this situation, not to blame. Listen to other people's stories and reach out to other people. Don't be scared. Come out anonymously like I am now or come out in any form of way where you do want to talk to somebody who's been through it. And I don't care if it takes 10 years for somebody to finally be able to speak their truth. If they listen to people and understand there's not they're not alone and there is a community of sisters behind everyone with this, just realize how many people would be there for you and how just listening and speaking your truth, this whole cycle of people talking about their story is really what's making the movement. That's the only thing, talking about it. And how do we talk about it? We have to stop the stigma. There's so much stigma. It is, like I said, it's uncomfortable talking about these things because there's stigma around it because it's not right. It's an abnormal situation. You feel like blaming yourself. You feel like you're the problem. And that stigma needs to stop. To, to know people feel like they blame themselves for someone else's wrong actions like this. And that's why coming out with these sto- stories and normalizing all of this in a way where it's obviously not normal, but normalizing it in a way where other people know that they can come out too. Gyms nowadays are starting to make changes just because of all of the people who started speaking up. And that's exactly what we need. More people keep speaking up and And the change is going to keep happening. It's not going to be overnight, but this is the start. Things are actually changing now. It's unfortunate because it took so long. But here here is one thing. Um, With my case in particular, when I look back at it, this is something that really, really freaking upsets me. The first person who reported being sexually abused um, by my abuser was in 1997. That is the year I was born. Imagine how many people... How many women would not be abused if somebody actually took this little girl seriously that many years back? And that's what bothers me. This has happened before. Larry Nassar is a prime example. He is not my abuser. I'll come straight up with that. But for example, with Larry Nassar, how many people came out for 20 plus years reporting things, trying to talk about it, actually having the courage to finally speak up about their story and then being told by higher up gymnastics people and um, law enforcement and police, you know, we don't believe you. That's what really hurts me is people had to heal and it could have taken time to finally go to law enforcement and finally tell their story. It took me four years to come out to law enforcement. And luckily with my situation, they did believe me. They did want to listen to me. They didn't care it was four years later. And that's the problem. People will come out 10 years later because they're finally healed. And they say, you know what? Now I'm finally ready to talk to somebody about what happened to me. Then 
police come in and say, that was 10 years ago, or we don't believe you, or even if it does happen right away and you come to police right away, they're looking at you, you're just a young little girl. Who knows what you're saying is valid? You know, we're going to believe your coach who's reputable or an Olympian or a world champion. And that's what's messed up. People need to listen. And that's the problem. In my case, the first person who reported on my abuser, 1997, year I was born, imagine how many women that we would not have in this situation if someone listened to this young girl and took her seriously instead of saying, no, we're going to believe your rep- reputable world champion coach. That's the first problem. What, that's one of the main problems for me. And I'm not here to blame law enforcement. They are amazing, fully support law enforcement. And it's not law enforcement itself. I just, my whole thing with this is listen. That's it. I don't care if you're law enforcement. I don't care if you're the parent. I don't care if you're a friend, anyone. You need to just listen and mm-hmm. try to at least hear and believe what they're saying because it doesn't matter if a girl's seven years old and she's saying these things and you're just saying, oh no, you know, like she's just trying to bring attention or whatever you think, what sick idea you think this is. That's something that really messes with me is, is that whole situation. Um, with that, my, my answer is for people to actually listen, write these reports and actually make make something come of it and not just blow it off. Like we're gonna believe this reputable coach that's messed up. So many abusers have been able to keep abusing even though they've been reported on because people are letting them off the hook or not believing the young athletes. And to me, that is a huge issue because it's like, finally, I feel good and I can tell my story and I wanna tell someone and I wanna make a change. And then you go to whomever and they don't believe you, or they're trying to protect whoever coaches and higher ups, then you know what, that's, that's a shot in the heart, because you finally had the courage to say what you had to say. And now that people don't even believe you or report on it, that whole situation just blows my mind. And I can see where that leads into and this is an assumption. Well, what's the point of even reporting it? Right. I'll just deal with and, it. Right. And that that started happening because gymnasts talk to other gymnasts and say like, oh, I, I did try to do this or I did talk to my mom or I did try to say this. And then the other peop- other gymnasts hearing, they're like, what's the point? You know, why would I even expose myself like that just to be shot down? So with changing the problem, like I said, talking about it, stopping the stigma, um, listening, not only talking about it, but listening and stopping the stigma. That's really all we can do at this point. A lot of people wish they can just walk into this gym and go in and say, I know what you've done, but there's nothing, you know, right now we have to be strong enough to keep talking about it and keep having people hear our stories. And that's the only way we can force people to start making a change on it. Because if there's pressure on police or on committees or on people who deal with this, then yes, they are going to have to open cases and actually look at things and go back through the reports and see where things went wrong. You just want someone to believe you to take it serious, right? Yeah. I'm the observer here, so I'm just listening to everyone's story. And as that, you know, I would say that obviously the police have their job to do, that they, they take a report, then they've got to investigate it, then they've got to find facts. You couldn't get anybody to even believe you. And and this is what a lot of gymnasts were going through. For, for me, it's not mm-hmm. that people believe me. I felt like people wouldn't believe me because I've heard of past stories. 
So I already, I already knew what was happening. I already knew other people who had tried. And for me, not only didn't I not want to speak up because that's what I was taught, but also I didn't feel like it would really do anything because I had seen other people get shot down. And when I finally did do it, which was like four or five years later, it was to my mom. And then, you know, we went to police. And also my mom was a big, big advocate for me. And that's also very important because she wouldn't let the police see another way if they if they wanted to. But luckily for me, the law enforcement I talked with did pursue everything I said and took it very seriously. And now there has been a lot of court stuff about it that's in the making. So I was able to move forward in the right steps. But one of the reasons that did inhibit me from talking about it a lot earlier on was because I knew other people hadn't been believed in the past. We can see how your advocacy is bringing awareness and and we're already we're seeing a major transformation because there are so many people in this country that are coming forward that this has happened yeah. to and we're seeing yeah. we're seeing a dramatic change quickly my question then to you now is the, the law will take care of the law how do you transform every person i work with whenever something happens that's out of their control we always say you can't change what's happened to you but you can change the way you look at it. You can change yeah. the way you operate with it. How do yeah. you do that now? Yeah, it's not easy. A lot of people can take this kind of experience and easily bring negative coping mechanisms in to temporarily band-aid the pain. And unfortunately, that can definitely be the situation for a lot of people. I am very blessed in the way that I am just super strong-minded and I pick myself up in a lot of situations. For this kind of a situation, one of the main things for me was using it to better myself, which is so much easier said than done. But really, I used this experience and said, you know what, I'm not the only person who's been through this. You know, people have been through this and maybe even worse. And it's not to compare traumas whatsoever. That's not the goal whatsoever. But it's to think to yourself, I'm not alone. And and I knew that once I started hearing other people's stories. And that's what really finally got me to realize, you know, I am not alone. There are other people who've gone through this or other issues. And I use this to find a passion, really. This whole experience really made me realize, oh, everyone's gone through some sort of trauma. I mean, it doesn't have to be like this. It can be in so many different other ways. And kind of said, you know what? in that moment when I was most vulnerable after these things happened to me and I just wished that I heard something or someone was there for me, gave me the motivation to say, well, why don't I try and be that for other people? And so for me, it was using this experience to better myself. And with that, I found a passion in mental health and helping people get through tough times. That was kind of my therapy in a way or how I coped in a way was made me feel better to help other people and made me feel better to share my story to help other people. That's not easy to do. It's so easy to fall into negative coping and to take the temporary easy way out. But in that time, I heard someone else's story at the right time. And that's what turned it for me. And so that's why I'm coming out now because I want to have this experience for someone else. I put myself back in the shoes when I heard someone else's story. And that's what I needed to flip the switch, pick myself up, use it to better myself, use it to find a passion for mental health and trauma and help people through their own traumas and with that, help myself. 
I absolutely admire you. The one question I I kind of want to end with because I've been asking this question to everybody I've been interviewing. You know, my mental health program that I've been developing is called Fly. First, love yourself. With everything you've said, everything you've experienced, if you were to say from this day forward and, and moving forward and in, in in the rest of your life, and in what way maybe is to love yourself first to before you can love anybody else to first love yourself. Yeah, definitely. That honestly, sometimes it's it's easier to love other people than yourself because, you know, you look in the mirror, you see flaws, you hear what people have to say, you've been through things and with that comes a lot of challenges just to love yourself like you said. And I guess one thing I can say about that is you you have one life out here. And one thing that really comes to me in loving yourself and for me, it's always loving other people, giving back to other people, but it is, you can't just do that unless you're not there for yourself. Otherwise you are going to fall. You can't just be there for everyone and not yourself. Even though it is my passion to help other people. And I want to do that. That's my passion. That's my thing. That's my career. But you have to realize that if you aren't there for yourself first, eventually you can't be there for other people. And so for me, if that's something that I'm really passionate about, something I love doing, I have to realize that I do have to love myself. I do have to have these days for myself, these moments for myself, these accomplishments for myself. Because if you don't have that, you aren't going to be able, for my case, I'm not going to be able to help other people. And that's going to set me back mentally a lot. For me, that's basically my answer. I, I couldn't have put it any better. I can't thank you enough again for having the courage to to be an advocate, to sharing your story, just saying to you, thank you from the bottom of my heart that you're willing to be the transition person to make this change and to make this gymnastics field and this program's organization get better and, and transform and, and to transform the world, really. There are so many women particularly out there, whether they've been a gymnast or not, who in some way, some shape or form, verbally, mentally, uh, are physically abused. And my true hope is that they hear your story and the stories of others to give them hope to get help, to confront the uncontrollables that are outside of them, to take a stand. And I just want to thank you so very much for, for having... Uh, the courage to come forward and, and share this on the podcast. And I know it's not just going to be one person that's impacted by this. I I know it's going to be a lot. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm so honored to be on. And I just, I can't wait for other people to listen and feel the strength. I'll leave people with, um, you got this. Don't give up. Listen and keep pushing. You're not alone. Thank you very, very much.